0: That's Amazon.com slash News Ad Free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.
1: The stage is set. A TV celebrity turned politician will do his very best to win over voters this November. Nope, not that guy. And
0: today I called Mehmet Oz to congratulate him on his victory.
1: Mehmet Oz, better known as the TV medic Dr Oz on daytime shows like Oprah, is the Republican nominee for one of Pennsylvania's two seats in the Senate, which is up in the midterms later this year. He'll face off against a tattooed and goateed Democratic Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman. Both candidates see themselves as political outsiders. But the result of this race will be closely watched, with Pennsylvania a swing state one that illustrates the political divide widening across America. So who will win? I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist for The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America.
2: It's been a wild ride, um, y- you know, being a political reporter in Pennsylvania.
1: Julia Taruso covers politics for the Philadelphia Inquirer. She's followed the twists and turns of this election year so far.
2: We have an open Senate seat. One of our two senators uh, is retiring uh, this year and we have an open governor's seat, both of which have really consequential uh, results for not just Pennsylvania, but the country. The Senate right now is is so divided 50-50 that, um, you know, if if Pennsylvania sends a Republican, it could could mean that the Republicans control the Senate. If Pennsylvania sends a Democrat, it could mean Democrats do. A couple other states also in the mix, but Pennsylvania is one that a lot of people are looking at.
1: You've given us a very good sense of the stakes there, just in terms of how the campaigns, the different ones, have been played out so far. How would you say this batch of contests, this election season, differs from previous midterm seasons?
2: I would say the the stakes feel higher, the amount of money that was spent and that will be spent is setting records. And just the factors we couldn't even predict for have been wild. <laughs> you know, on the on the Senate side, the nominees are uh, Mehmet Oz, a celebrity doctor who moved to Pennsylvania from New Jersey about uh, six months before declaring his run, and a lieutenant governor, the, our, our lieutenant governor, John Fetterman, who is not the typical looking politician, you know, he's six foot seven, he's bald, he has a goatee and tattoos up, up both of his forearms, you know, he campaigns in a hoodie and shorts. And, and these are the two very distinct personalities who will be facing off this summer in this, this hugely important race.
1: So let's start off with that race. It is the kind of box office race in Pennsylvania, this contest for the Senate seat that is up for grabs. Let's just talk about the contest on the Republican side, just to get the right to fight this election, the primary on the Republican side. Just tell us who the two candidates were and in the end, what put one in front of the other?
2: Yeah, so the two front runners were Mehmet Oz. I invented a heart valve that saves
0: thousands of lives. Then I started a TV show to advocate for you taking control of your health
2: and took on the medical... Well, he is known for being a celebrity TV doctor. He's a a cardiothoracic surgeon, has worked at a lot of well-respected hospitals around the country, um, but really kind of made his name on The Oprah Winfrey Show and then in his own program for about 13 years so he came in as a front runner just by nature of, you know, people knew his name, people knew Dr. Oz, he was on their TVs, and that's kind of a huge part of the battle in a primary where not everybody's necessarily paying attention. The other uh, front runner, his name is David McCormick. He's a former hedge fund executive who, similarly, uh, you know, relocated to Pennsylvania not too shortly before this primary. And I think a, a key thing about both of these men is they are multimillionaires who just poured a ton of money onto the airwaves, promoting their own campaigns, attacking each other. It was like nothing we'd ever seen before, and. And in the end, it was such a close race. And it went to a recount, you know, a statewide recount of the vote. And Oz, who was leading before the recount, the writing was kind of on the wall that McCormick wasn't going to make up the difference. And so he conceded um, just this past uh, Friday. So, I mean, it's really been a a race that's continued, you know, close to a month after um, the primary.
1: And what do you think in the end gave Mehmet Oz that edge, albeit a very narrow edge? How much do you think it was to do with the fact that he did get the seal of approval from the all-important kingmaker of Republican politics these days, namely Donald Trump?
2: I think that absolutely had an impact. I think if, you know, I I talked to a lot of voters who would say, I love Trump. I don't necessarily do what Trump tells me. But you know there are a lot of voters who if they're on the fence and Trump has the, gives the seal of approval to one of the two they're going to go that way. Now I do think the fact that it was so close shows that you know Trump is not the the end all be all for Republican politics. You know voters voters are really concerned about authenticity. That's a problem Oz had on the campaign trail. He actually had a lot of kind of unfavorable ratings in the polls. You know, I, I think what we were seeing is people trying to determine if he if he is this true conservative. Um, he had said some liberal leaning things in, in the past in his 13 years on TV, but it really was a confluence of events. And in the end, I mean, we're talking they're not done the recount, but a little over a thousand votes in, uh, in the state of Pennsylvania.
1: I mean, two big problems before we talk more about his opponent in November, two big problems you imagine he would have in the light of what you just told us is one, I suppose, Republicans not united. They were split more or less 50-50 between him and his opponent. And this, you know, opponents would call a sort of carpetbagger problem that he's not from Pennsylvania. As you told us, he just moved in six months ahead of time. You, one imagines that come November, both of those things could hold him back a bit.
2: Absolutely. He's got a lot of Republican voters that he has to appeal to who didn't vote for him. And then since it's Pennsylvania, he's got to get some independents and Democrats to to go for him as well. Uh, We can already see that the carpetbagger attack is going to be a big one in this race. His opponent, John Fetterman, uh, their campaign already is selling bumper stickers that say Dr. Oz for New Jersey. Um, and, you know, all proceeds go to their campaign. Uh, so it's, it's, it's absolutely something that I think um, Fetterman is going to hit on. And, and I think it could have more relevance in the general election than, than we saw it have in the primary, because, you know, Pennsylvania, it's a very regional place. People are very kind of proud of the areas they're from. And, and it could wind up making a difference that, you know, he doesn't have the strong roots that Fetterman does.
1: Well, let's talk about Federman then. I've seen him described in all kinds of ways. I mean, you've already given us a sketch of how physically imposing he is and what an unusual. He doesn't look like your regular blow-dried, besuited politician, instead tall, goateed, wears shorts and so on. But I've seen him described as a cross between Bernie Sanders in terms of his politics and Jesse Ventura, the wrestler turned... (laughs) the wrestler turned governor of um, uh, of Minnesota. So there's a that's quite a mix going on. Just give us a feel of, of besides how he looks physically, of, of his political persona.
2: Yeah, he's a unique individual. People have been trying to label me my entire life. I do not look like a typical politician. I don't even look like a typical person. He does have this very kind of unconventional, gruff demeanor. He doesn't talk like... Your typical politician, he, he actually didn't perform very well in the debates. And, you know, he kind of shrugged it off as like, I'm, that's not me. You know, I talk directly to the voters. But it is a little more nuanced. I mean, he um, grew up uh, in a pretty... Upper middle to wealthy family. He has a degree from Harvard. You know, he's been an elected official for the last 16 years, first as mayor of a small town and then as lieutenant governor. So while he's absolutely has a, a different vibe and is absolutely leaning into that, he's been a politician for some time and he has some of the kind of more insider uh, traits we're used to seeing. When he was campaigning, he didn't go after traditional endorsements in the Democratic Party. He didn't really kiss the ring, so to speak. And that kind of ruffled some feathers of, of Democrats in Pennsylvania. But in the end, he won every county, all 67 counties in the state now, he has a, a health issue that I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about. Um, you well, know, let, let's get yeah. into let's get mm-hmm. into that
1: because it is. I mean, I often do think American politics is scripted by some kind of divine authority in the sky to make the best possible storyline. <laughs> and what could you have here except a TV doctor and a real doctor, as you say, who is up against somebody who has been very. You know famously sick in this in an in a, or rather dramatically so tell us what went wrong with John Fetterman and and how that you think that will play out politically
2: so three days before the primary election on May 13th we learned he had a he had several events scheduled and they were all abruptly canceled and we learned two days later
0: tonight, Pennsylvania lieutenant governor and Democratic Senate candidate John Fetterman says he is recovering from a stroke.
2: We learned at the time that he had something called atrial fibrillation, which is an irregular heartbeat that that is a common cause of stroke. We have since learned that he also has uh, cardiomyopathy, a a weakened heart situation. And he was outfitted with a pacemaker and a defibrillator to treat that. And we also have, you know, other than small sound bites um, that his, his campaign puts out on social media, little videos of him. He has not been back on the trail. We don't know when he's going to be back on the trail. And I don't know if it's causing panic, but I think it's causing some concern among Democrats who know how important this seat is. Is he able to campaign in the way that his his campaign has said he will be able to?
1: And and I, I don't know how Mehmet Oz would handle it, but you can imagine him making some kind of political hay out of it. I've just had this image of him, if they do meet in a TV debate, you know, whipping out the stethoscope and saying, I should give you an exam right now, just to make sure you're fit. Because we know from presidential races, it really matters whether the candidate is fit and and, and seen as, uh, you know, reliable to serve out a full term. For something like this, a Senate election, it's a six year term. Do you think Pennsylvania voters would weigh heavily the idea of a candidate who might have a big question mark over their health
2: I do think that this state isn't just divided politically there there aren't that many kind of like independent minded voters in the middle so if you're a democrat who wants to win the senate i'm not sure you know you're going to vote for a republican because you're concerned about the democrat's health and this key moments. But I think it is a, a huge question mark. As you just pointed out, you know, Dr. Oz is a good showman. He, on the campaign trail, would pull people up out of the crowd and ask to check their blood pressure and ask them, what, had their, what has your blood pressure up today? And, you know, they would talk about the issues that were concerning them. So I think, you know, how he goes after Fetterman and when what he he says about this will be really interesting.
1: So, as we said at the start, the stake's really high for the Senate contest because of that 50-50 split where every vote really counts. We know what a headache it's been for Joe Biden having some of these more maverick characters. Kirsten Sinema from Arizona, Joe Manchin from West Virginia, who don't vote the way the rest of the Democratic caucus often want them to vote. If Fetterman, if his health holds up and if he wins... Does he present himself as someone who's likely to be a down-the-line Democrat who will do, you know, what Joe Biden wants him to do? Or could he be another one of those independents that gives the president a big headache?
2: I think Fetterman would shock and anger a lot of people if he got to the Senate and became a became a Joe Manchin. He's campaigned verbatim saying, I will not be another <laughs> Joe Manchin. You know, I think we've seen some of his positions shift slightly more moderate, but he's a pretty progressive politician. You know, he supported Bernie Sanders in in Sanders' 2016 presidential run, and then Sanders supported his race for lieutenant governor here in Pennsylvania. I I think a lot of the voters who, who back him like that they feel like he's always been for similar things. you know,
1: And he's always been from Pennsylvania.
2: And he's always been from Pennsylvania. That's
1: true. <laughs> so that really helps him. All right. Lots of other races going on in your state. And the governor's race has produced, again, a candidate who's getting some nationwide attention in the form of Doug Mastriano, the, who is the Republican nominee for the governor's mansion. I mean, the controversy around him is, is pretty obvious in the sense of, as I understand it, he was literally there. On January the sixth, twenty twenty-one, for the attempted insurrection on Capitol Hill, I think he's been questioned by the FBI since. He's since handed over some documents to the uh, congressional committee that's looking into the events of January sixth. I mean, he won out in a pretty fiercely contested Republican field. But what does it tell you that somebody who has got that kind of political pedigree, literally there on the on the uh, on the hill in on the sixth of January? emerges as the winner.
2: I think Doug Mastriano's win really says something about the Trump effect on Pennsylvania and just the very, you know, how conservative um, and how even right-wing some pockets of the state have become. Mastriano didn't run a traditional campaign. He he ran a really impressive grassroots Facebook-fueled campaign where he just... Was able to get you know the about a third of the votes he needed to win in a in a race with a with a lot of with a lot of candidates. I think the question now is, okay, you know we know Pennsylvania has pockets that are extremely right wing. How what about Pennsylvania on the whole? How does he appeal um, more broadly? And and you know he is someone who does not shy away from who he is, does not, has not shifted in any of his positions. He was at January 6th. He, he rented some buses to bring some people down there. In his acceptance speech, he said, you know...
1: Day one, any mandates are gone. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> On day one, any jab for job requirements
0: are gone.
2: Any mask or vaccine mandates go away, any gender neutral restrooms go away, any teaching about uh, racial inequalities in in schools go away. So he's set in his ways. And I'm very curious how his the pitch that worked for a segment of Republicans in the primary, I'm very curious how it'll how it'll play out in the general.
1: And he's up against a pretty mainstream opponent. Tell us a little bit about that opponent and how you see this race playing out.
2: So Josh Shapiro is the Attorney General of Pennsylvania. And he is certainly a more, you know, compared to Fetterman, to who he'll be sharing a ticket with, a, a more traditional politician. You know, uh, he's from a suburb of Philadelphia that has a lot of Democrats. And he wanted to face Mastriano. He ran ads that told voters more about who Mastriano is. And I think that signals that, you know, he thinks Mastriano is his best shot at winning. And now he got what he wished for. So we'll have to see if he was right in that political calculation. I've talked to some strategists who say, you know, yes, Mastriano is this incredibly extreme and, you know, controversial figure. But in a state like Pennsylvania, People are cautious to write off Mastriano as you know having an impossible path here.
1: Oh yeah, I mean I, these ads are amazing. Actually, this is the sort of thing that people marvel at because, as I understand it, these were Democratic ads saying, "Oh, that Mastriano is far too loyal to Donald Trump. He's really Donald Trump's guy." Actually, people thought that was designed to drive up Republican support for him because Democrat Shapiro wanted. To right. run against Mastriano, and people are saying, "Look, be careful what you wish for." Remembering that in 2016, a lot of Hillary Clinton's people thought, "Yeah, bring it on. We want to take yeah. on Donald Trump. He'll be very beatable." And actually, maybe uh, it, you know, there's a there could be a sting in that tail, partly for the reason you've said.
2: Now, I d- yeah, and I do think what one thing worth noting though is, you know, in 2016, not everyone really knew exactly who Trump was. There were some people who thought he was a closeted Democrat. Um, I think everyone does see, know where Mastriano stands politically. Um, but but even so, I, I think what you're saying is, is absolutely true. And then I think the other important thing in the governor's race is Roe v. Wade is expected to be overturned in the Supreme Court, which means that, you know, if, if that happens, every state will be left to determine what the the laws are regarding abortion, and the governor becomes incredibly powerful in that regard. So Shapiro, the Democrat, has spent a lot of time already just hammering that, you know, this could be a real situation that voters would, would see play out and, and trying to advocate for himself.
1: That's something we've talked about on this podcast, the mobilization of women voters in the autumn around the issue Of abortion, and that absolutely could happen for the reasons you've said. Before we leave the specific contest, I just wanted to ask you about one race uh, in uh, for that on the House side, um, because this was an internal Democratic. Uh, fight summer Lee could become the first black woman to represent Pennsylvania in Congress. She is the nominee for the twelfth district around Pittsburgh, seen as a very safe democratic seat. That was a big battle because she was you know, from the progressive side of the party. she was up against someone uh, from the moderate or more conservative side uh, the, the pro israel lobby APAC put uh, a lot of backing behind her opponent, but she came through. Uh, that scene, I suppose, is a bit of a bellwether, an indicator of this ongoing battle. Again, we've talked about it on this podcast between progressives and moderate centrists, perhaps within the Democratic Party. Is that the right way to read it?
2: I think so. Yes, and I and I do think, in her case, she had been um, state representative in that area and had kind of built up a, a really strong grassroots progressive group who fought for her because in her statehouse races, she, she was also opposed by the party, you know, especially in a year when Democrats are probably going to have a really tough time. Candidates who have connected with voters, who voters find authentic and, and maybe who voters don't find, quote unquote, typical politicians. What we're seeing a lot of those candidates uh, do well.
1: You've explained to us exactly why Pennsylvania is worth all the kind of attention we've been giving it. The stakes are very high, a governor who could decide what happens to abortion rights in the state, a senator who could determine whether it's Democrats or Republicans who control uh, the Senate uh, for the entire U.S., government, so a huge amount at stake. But Pennsylvania always does get interest and attention because it is seen as one of these sort of bellwether swing states, sometimes blue, sometimes red, really crucial in presidential elections. Just explain to us exactly how, why Pennsylvania has that reputation, partly because of of how kind of diverse a state it is in the sense of rural, urban, black, white, it's, all, it's blue collar, white collar, it's all there in Pennsylvania.
2: We do have it all. Yes. Um we often say that Pennsylvania is a microcosm of the United States. You know, it's very closely divided politically. The state went for President Obama, then President Trump, and now President Biden. Geographically, you have two big cities, more rural areas, and a lot of mid and small-sized cities. You know, if you look at how old the state is, how college educated the state is, even metrics like what percentage of uh, people go to church, a lot of that actually mirrors the the country as a whole. And so I think that's part of the reason um, it has become such a bellwether place. The blue or the Democratic areas keep getting bluer and everywhere else keeps getting redder or more Republican. And so it's this very interesting dynamic of closely divided politics.
1: Yeah. And just in in terms of the two national, big national figures, Biden won it in 2020, Trump won it in 2016. How are those two individuals seen by Pennsylvania voters? I mean, cost of living crisis, inflation gripping the American economy. Um, How is Biden seen? And among Republicans in those red areas, is Donald Trump still their guy?
2: Oh, yes. I think Trump is beloved in, in a wide swath of Pennsylvania. You know, you'll, you drive around, you still see Trump one signs. Um, you know, I think he is a figure who will stick around for, for quite some time in his impact. Biden, it's interesting, you know, Biden actually has roots here. He grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. He really hammered that on the, on the campaign trail when he was trying to win this critical state. My name is Joe Biden. I am
1: Jill Biden's husband and Gene Finnegan's son. I'm from 2446 North Washington Avenue, and I'm happy to be home. Happy to be home.
2: But I think Democrats here, like everywhere else, are frustrated with everything right now. And even if, um, you know, they, they still consider themselves Democrats and then lean toward voting that way, I, I don't know that his approval rating would, would be much higher here than you're you're seeing nationally.
1: Julia, we always ask our guests on this podcast a what else question, something completely different. Uh, this week, leaders of the far-right Proud Boys group, including uh, its chairman Enrique Tarrio, have been charged with seditious conspiracy over those events on January the 6th, as we were discussing that bid to overturn or uh, uh, negate the election of Joe Biden. Uh, And these charges come just as the select committee of the House has been holding televised hearings into the events of January the 6th. Uh, What do you expect in terms of public reaction to seeing these hearings uh, played out on live TV?
2: The big question for me is, you know, does the the public watch and what impact if any does it have i mean we're we're coming off a couple of weeks where the, the country's seen a series of mass shootings people are dealing with you know rising gas prices uh, baby formula shortage um covid is still impacting people's lives so I, I think i'm i'm just curious to see if if it breaks through which i know seems like kind of a ridiculous comment because it is going to be this massively interesting and important hearing. Um, but I, I am curious if it if it really breaks through to, to people.
1: Julia Teruso of the Philadelphia Inquirer, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: And that is all from me for this week. Now, often you'll hear me suggest you read a book recently published by one of our guests. Well, this week, may I take the liberty of suggesting my own. For more than two years, I've been delving into the incredible story of Rudolf Werber, who was the first Jew, one of only four, ever to break out of Auschwitz. He risked everything to warn the world what was happening. And his story raises all kinds of current issues about truth and lies, about who gets believed and who does not. So please do search for the escape artist, the man who broke out of Auschwitz to warn the world. There will be a link to where you can find it and perhaps buy it on the episode description for today's show. And for something very different, our award-winning football weekly podcast is going on the road for the next few weeks, coming to a stage near you. You won't want to miss what Max Barry and your panel favourites have to say in Birmingham, Leeds, London, Manchester and Glasgow. So make sure to get your tickets. But for now, it's goodbye. The producers were Danielle Stevens and Yolene Goffin. The executive producer is Maz Eptehaj and I'm Jonathan Friedland. Thanks, as always, for listening.
0: This is The Guardian.